The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's guest is top copywriter Donnie Bryant. Go to donnie-bryant.com to find out more. Donnie, thank you for being with me today. Joe, it's great to be here. Donnie, can you let us know how you got into copywriting? Sure. Uh, I, I always tell people that I grew up loving the written word. I, my grandmother, who I visited on a regular basis, had a huge library, something like twenty or twenty-five thousand books. And this is like a vacation for me to be to be able to browse through her personal library. So I, I grew up just loving the written word. Um, and but I never figured out, or I never thought that there was a way that I could make money doing it. You know, when you're maybe when you're a kid, you think, oh, I'm going to write the you know next big Stephen King novel, but when you start to grow up and realize it's not as easy as it seems, you lose them dreams sometimes. At least I did. And just got into the regular working world, retail and, and, and stuff like that. And about four years ago, well, it was a little bit more than four years ago, I got into a management position that was killing me as far as time goes. I was spending, you know, 50 or 60 on one occasion, over 80 hours in one week just working at this store. I was on salary, so they're, you know, getting paid the same, whether I worked 40 hours or if I worked 80 hours. And it was difficult because I had three young children at the time. And my wife, you know, by the time I got home, I couldn't give her my full attention. I was beat up. And, uh, and I wanted to, to figure out how I could make money enough to support my family without spending, you know, most of the week either at work or going to coming home from work. So I, I kind of started looking around for opportunities. And and providentially, you know, I, I stumbled across uh, the the concept of copywriting. I had never heard of the idea before, never thought about the fact that somebody has to write all the things that you read on websites and, you know, the, the commercials, people write all these things. Somebody has to write that stuff. And I never, you know, it never dawned on me that that could be a job that I could do. Um, and, you know, I guess I skipped a part in my career. I did a few selling I had a few selling positions that I really enjoyed. I felt like I was a pretty good salesperson, had really good numbers, um, and, uh, you know, made decent money. Uh, so, you know, copywriting allowed me to put the two together. I could write, which I was always passionate about wor the word, like I said, and turn it into selling through writing. So how long have you been a copywriter for now, and, and who are some of the people or companies that you've written for in the past? Uh, it's been a, about four years now since I since I uh, quit working at that management job. Fortunately, I had a, a a good client early on who gave me as much work as I could take, you know. And actually, it happened while I was still working. You know, I still had my job, and I was able to come home. And even though I was tired, I started to do this and write and write and write and send in the send in the copy, and get the paychecks until it was enough for me to, you know, just quit. Um, so it's been about four years. The, the guys I like to show off, I say that I've written for Experian, who is one of the three credit bureaus here in the United States. Wow. 
<laughs> ben Settle also wrote for them. So, you know, a lot of your listeners probably know Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so he, you know, he's proud of that. I'm proud of that. Even though I'll tell you, they were probably my least favorite client of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that, but you tell them that it doesn't matter because I, the, the, my contact with them, uh, he, he was, he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong, but he had his own ideas about time. He didn't care much for mine. I had to fit into his schedule and he ended up eating up so much of my time and putting me through so much. Anyway, it was difficult, although very rewarding. And sure. like I said, it's, it's a great name to throw out there. Yeah. Sure. I, I work with a credit bureau. There's only three in the United States and they talk, you know, they have information about everybody in the country. Okay. And early to rise is my other really, uh, well known, uh, client. Okay. I wrote for them, uh, last year before the management change. Um, and I, I wasn't able to get introduced to the new management. So that's, I believe why I'm not writing for them now. And I haven't tried to get, uh, in contact with those guys, okay. but those are the guys that I'm really proud of. Brilliant. Two massive names, Experian and early to rise. That's fantastic. Uh, so Donnie, in this interview, we're going to be talking about quite a few different subjects, but all of it focusing on how to write more persuasively and how to sell more of our stuff using the written word. The first question that I wanted to ask you was I've often heard you talk about four ways that businesses are sabotaging their own marketing. Could you let us know uh, what those four ways are and how we can avoid them? Okay. There may be more than five. <laughs> These are five that I've, I notice on a regular basis and that I know whether I have specific statistics or not, I know they're killing the results that these companies are getting. And I know from specific examples of people that I do know that they're ruining their ability to grow their business. Okay. The first one is that people, you know, we've all heard the saying, uh, you know, if you build a better mousetrap, this is cliche, right? Then the world will be a path to your door. In yeah. business, we, I hope that we know, we're, we're coming to know. And if you don't realize that First, you'll figure it out that that's not true. You know, you could have the greatest product on earth. And if you never tell anybody, you are not going to get enough business. You're not going to sell much of what you got. Or not as much as you could. You know, if you sold to one person, there's always word of mouth and things like that. But the companies that have the best, you know, sales results are those that are actively promoting their product, product and service. And you know that there's some products out there that are terrible. <laughs> But they market and and they get sales. And hopefully, you know, they realize that you can't rip people off and expect them to be repeat customers. But if you get if you have a, a decent product, you will beat a great product if you have better marketing in, in a lot of cases. OK, so the first one is they don't do enough marketing. Either they or don't do it at all, ex expecting people to come just just on the merits of the, the quality of the product or they or they don't do enough of it. You think you could just put an ad in the, in the, on yellowpages.com or, you know, make sure you have a website just that it's there and you think people will flock there and it's, and it's not true. <clears throat> so that's probably the first one. The second one, and this is, this is probably true of me too, but people are boring. <laughs> Their marketing is boring. Either you're copying what other people are doing just because, you know, everybody else is doing this. So let me do the same thing. It's suicide, especially in, in a day like today when there are so many different things vying for our attention. 
and so many interesting things out there, even though a lot of them are time wasters. You know, I talk about people watching cat videos on Facebook, but they do do this. Um, so if I could watch a cat video that's going to, you know, entertain me for two minutes or look at your very boring, you know, sales video where you're just, hi, I'm selling peanut butter. You know, people aren't going to do that. I'll choose a cat video and, and everybody else will too. So boring. And, you know, there are so many great commercials. There are a lot of bad ones, but there's so many TV commercials are, are really easy to illustrate examples because, you, you know, if I say you guys have Old Spice in, in England. Yeah. <laughs> These commercials that we're playing here with Terry Crews. Yeah. He breaks through the wall in the bathroom on a, a Charmin commercial. Yeah, we've seen that advert over here. Is that the one where he's on the horse at the end and he's like this perfect guy? Uh, is that the one? This is a different. There's a different one out now, but that. The Old Spice one with the, uh, you know, the, what is, I don't remember his name, but, you know, he's on a horse. All those commercials, uh, they're, they're not boring. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that commercial or, you know, look at your man. Now look at me, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and he, and it, it was, what is going on in this commercial? So I don't, I, you know, I heard that the sales weren't impacted at, uh, at first, but over time, you know, this makes, you know, my original prediction was this is not going to help sales. So I look stupid after this because after, after six months or something, you see the sales results coming in from all the retail locations. Oh, wow. And it seemed like Old Spice actually did do better. So it's, that wasn't direct marketing. It's just entertaining, but it captured the attention of people, which is what this point is about. When people have boring sales messages and they have boring commercials, they have boring websites or they have boring sales presentations. It's not, it's not as effective as it could be. And I know a lot of people are doing that. Like I said, I think I probably do it too. I bore people sometimes. Um, because I'm talking about things that are interesting to me. My wife, for example, she looked at my last newsletter. She's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> now, you know, this is, to me, it's fascinating. She's like, okay, well, nobody else is going to think about it the way that you think about it because, you know, I'm my own kind of weird. So I had to, you know, she's thank God for her. She keeps me in touch with, people who weren't as neurotic as I am, I suppose. So anyway, <laughs> that's the second thing, being boring and just copying what other people are doing or just doing it to, to say that you're doing it. Or oh, I have a Facebook page, you know, now I've done my, check it off my list, I've done my marketing for the day. It's, that's, that's a mistake. The third thing, and, and I know a lot of people do this as well, is they spend all of their time focusing on themselves even in their, you know, in their marketing to get other people to buy their stuff. But rather than telling other people, you know, engaging with the, that person, they're just telling them all the things that they feel are great about themselves. I have, I have the best this and the, the best that I've been in business this long. And those things are important for credibility, you know, uh, in, in the long run. But what you have to do is tell people why you matter to them. If you just tell them, you know, I have uh, high tensile carbon steel and, you know, it doesn't mean anything. So, you know, that's a feature. And, and we, we talk about using benefits over features. And, and that's really the way I, that I look at it is you have rather to start with the person in the audience that you want to reach. What matters to them? And let's build a bridge from where they are to where I am rather than trying to talk about how great I am and hoping that they build their own bridge. 
that fit, you know, they connect the dots for themselves. People won't necessarily, you know, see how what I feel is great about me benefits them. So you have to tell them you have a need for this acne cream product. You know, your face is, is not, you know, as smooth as you would like it to be. And, and I can do something about that rather than I have the most advanced chemicals in the world and such and such, mm-hmm. you know, tell them, Hey, look, you don't want to look bad for your girlfriend. Maybe <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> so that is three. The, the fourth one is uh, picking a niche, which, you know, if I'm talking like old spice, even old spice, which sells to the masses, but I, I don't know if they even have a product for women. They're not, they're not appealing to women. They're not trying to. In this commercial, it says, you know, look at your man, now look at me. But, you know, the, the, maybe the woman buys the deodorant. But more or less, it's, it's directed towards the man who's thinking, look at this guy. My, if my woman's looking at this guy, <laughs> he should, she should be looking at me. So let me, you know, go buy this product so I can be as handsome, rugged, and masculine as him. Or have you seen, they have also, uh, where the, he's like a, a sea captain and he's beating up an octopus and he has gold coins flying out of his pockets. No, I haven't seen that one. You can look it up on YouTube. It's, it's okay. kind of ridiculous actually. But the idea is, okay, this is, this is a masculine guy. You know, he smells masculine. He smells strong and that's going to be attractive to females. So, you know, that's, there's, they're appealing to their niche, their niche, which is men who are, you know, who want to be manly. So, you know, even if they're, uh, even if it's a huge niche, you still need to know who you're selling to so you can know what hot bush buttons you want to push. You can know what's appealing to them. You can know what they're, you know, what's not appealing to them. And then you can, first of all, create kind of a product that will work for them. And, and secondly, you can market it in a way that will, that they'll relate to. Um, you know, most companies have smaller niches than, Old Spice or Coca-Cola. I don't know if Coca-Cola has a niche. They don't need one at this point. Most of us don't have $100 million budgets to market our product either. Um, but, you know, if you know who you want to attract, you want to know who you want to do business with, then you're ahead of the game. The companies that think, you know, I just create this thing and, and, and work with whoever. I'm telling you from personal experience, you don't want to just work with whoever. <laughs> and, and I'm also telling you from experience, when you when you cr- create a marketing message that's not directed at anybody in particular, it's not going to be as effective as it would be if you had specifically. I'm I'm looking at this audience. Let me write a write a uh, a message for this audience. And and if you have several niches, you know, you, rather than have one commercial or one sales page for everybody, have a sales page for each specific niche, and then you know go after each of them individually so that you can focus on their core motivating drive. You know, millionaires have different desires than teenagers. There's a couple of teenage millionaires, I suppose, but you know, okay. CEOs who are 40 have different everything than a teenager with pimples. So that that's also, and, and that's easier said than done, but it's worth the effort to figure out who you want to do business with. Who do you, who is the most likely people, who are the most likely people to buy from me? That's a good place to start. You know, I have this product that I love, that I think is really valuable. Well, who's it most valuable for? And and cr- create your message, create your campaign around attracting 
and selling to that person. And and then you're, as I said, you're ahead of the game rather than I'm just making it because then that's another way that you have to focus on your yourself and your own product, your own company, because you don't know who you're talking to. So now all I'm doing is talking about what I've got and hoping that it appeals to you. You know, but, you know, everything isn't doesn't appeal to everybody. And some things are far more appealing to one person than the other person. So the better you know your people that you want to sell to, the better you know your market and your audience, the more capable you are of speaking directly to their their hot buttons and, and getting them to, to buy more stuff, which is what we're trying to accomplish. Okay, so just to recap on the four things, Donnie, it was first of all that you need to be marketing in the first place because a lot of businesses aren't actually marketing in the first place. Um, number two was that you shouldn't be boring in your marketing. Number three was, I'm just trying to think what number three was again. Three was the okay. being focused inwardly rather oh, yes. than hourly yeah. towards your audience, which is, it's so easy to fall into that one, but it is a big mistake. And like I said, it, eventually you get to talk about yourself, but just like you don't walk up to somebody in, in, in a, in a networking meeting or, you know, wherever, you don't just start telling about, about yourself. You know, you ask a question, how are you? You know, you, you know, nobody wants to talk to somebody who can't talk about anybody or anything but themselves. And you don't like to listen to that person. So <laughs> focusing on your audience. The fourth one was niche, getting your niche together. Donnie, what's the number one mistake you see people make when they're writing? Uh, it, it's probably a combination of some of the things that we mentioned. Um, probably being born. A lot of times when we write, we think that we have to write in a, in a particular way that you probably learned in school. Mm-hmm. Don't put the preposition at the end and, you know, <clears throat> speak really formally and, and these things. Those are rules that, that are meant to be broken, I think. When you're <laughs> in school, you gotta learn them. Uh, but when it comes to, just like everyday conversation, you and I are speaking, I'm not thinking about where my prepositions are. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about communicating an idea to you. So, writing is just that. I think all communication is just that. The rules only apply to help you. You need to know them so that you can, you know, learn how, if everybody has a standard way of communicating, then everybody's on the same level and we can, we can share ideas. But once you, once I know the rules, I know how, I know how to go get around them. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to follow what they taught you in school. As a matter of fact, it's probably a bad idea to, to follow what they taught you in school because it's boring. So, you know, I think about John Carlton. You know, John Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation with him. That was, it was, uh, you know, digital. I, I don't actually know him personally. But I was saying something about prepositions. And he said, man, forget that. I use prepositions whenever I want. I don't care what my teachers told me. It's, it's all about getting an idea across in a way that resonates with the listener or the reader, rather. So, you know, when you write, you think subject. Uh, uh, what is that? How does oh, you got a noun, you got the verb, and you got predicate. That's what it is, a subject and a predicate. You don't think about that. Think about here's the idea that I that I need to convey to the other person here are the emotions that i want to elicit from them what's the best way for me to do that so you can be uh, uh provocative you should be provocative not not to the point of being unbelievable but say something that's going to knock them off balance so I would, I would say the number one mistake is to to follow too many rules until you become born 
Yeah, especially online. If someone is reading and they get bored after reading the first couple of sentences, then they've clicked away already and they are gone forever. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world to just click away. So on to another topic, Donia, I've seen you write about on your website. And you mentioned that there are three effects that the recession has had on businesses today, but that we can use those three things to our advantage. So how do we make those bad things work in our favor? That's a great question. And and one that I like to talk about, and also that Dan Kennedy is taking advantage of. I think a lot of people are, are saying, oh, it's a recession. So how do you recession-proof your business or, or these things? But there are three things that I've figured out that really impact the way that business is done in a recession. And the first of them probably is, is that people are, are very scared. Even if it's a low level anxiety and it's kind of subconscious, subconscious, people are scared that their job isn't going to be there tomorrow. They're scared that their, you know, their investments are going to tank and, and they're just worried about how they're going to be able to make it you know, financially. So there's, there's fear. The customers are reluctant to spend this money that they're, that they're seeing as being in, in short supply or extra difficult to get. And it's true. I, you know, I know a lot of people who are out of work and I know a lot of people who are struggling. And so there's fear and this impacts, this is a two, two of the three effects. First one being that, that people are, the custom customers are fearful. And so it's hard for them to, or it's more difficult for them to make the buy, a buying decision about something that isn't absolutely essential. This is compounded by the fact that businesses are also scared. Businesses are, you know, they know, or at least they think that their customers are not going to be spending money. And, and so they're terrified and they're thinking, how can I protect my business from wasting money? And most of the time, the, one of the first places that, that gets cut from their budget is their marketing, which is really stupid. <laughs> they, you know, okay, I, I need to save some money. Let's not market. That comes from them not knowing whether or not their marketing is effective in the first place. If you know that your marketing is, is doubling your money, every time I spend a dollar on this campaign, it's, it's bringing me $2 in revenue, $2 in, in profit. You're not going to stop doing that because it's not saving you money. You know, <laughs> it's hurting you. And when you just, okay, I spent a hundred thousand dollars on this uh, campaign and I have no idea what the results were. Of course you'd be like, okay, well, that's a hundred thousand dollars I don't need to spend because I don't know if it made me any money. So that's why tracking and, and measuring is really important. But you know, so when they're cutting back their budgets, they're actually, uh, when people are in need of m- more persuasion, People are in more in need of of uh, having somebody, uh, or you know, the, there's needs out there that need to get met, and the people are pulling back, or the businesses are pulling back. So when uh, when that happens, the companies that don't market are actually losing top of mind awareness. They're losing market share, and they're and they're just losing the profits that they could have if they continued to go to market. And isn't uh, McGraw Hill did a survey. This was in one of the previous down economies, and they they found that the businesses in recession that keep they maintain their advertising spend, they actually outgrew the businesses that cut back by two hundred fifty percent. Wow! Because the, the the companies that continue to advertise, continue to market, they're they're gobbling up 
the customers who were abandoned by the people who were the businesses that were scared. I'm not going to market. I need to cut back. I need to cut back. And those that are bold enough to know there are still needs out here and I still have a great solution. I'm going to continue to promote it. Okay. The people who, who still have those needs are buying from them rather than the businesses that are pulling back. Yeah. So that's a twofold part. Um, the third one is just, it's kind of related as well. Customers are really skeptical and, and they, they really need a more powerful sales message in order to, to get them to, to loosen their grip on their disposable income. They're not just handing out money like they got it. If they feel like they don't have it, you know, it's going to be much more difficult to sell. So the companies that spend the time to make really good sales messages, really good marketing messages, again, they're going to benefit versus the people who are just marketing the market or they're just, you know, they're boring and they don't have anything really outstanding to grab attention and keep it. That, that, and I stole that from Clayton Makepeace. He said, during tough times, you need even tougher sales messages. So when we say there's a recession, I need to amp up my, uh, compel the compellingness of my message that that will really transform your your results compared with people who will not respond so they're either pulling back or they're not changing at all you say you know people need they need more convincing <laughs> and uh and the people who do that will win okay so let's talk a little bit more about that then donnie how do we actually write more persuasively that's another great question. And, and it's something that I've kind of touched on, but I'm going to get, I'll get to that in a roundabout way. I'm coming to realize that nobody persuades anybody else. Persuasion comes from within an individual person. If you think about it, you know, you, when you're in an argument, it doesn't have to be a, a heated argument, but a debate. You've probably never been persuaded. <laughs> to go to the other person's side just because the other person has a better argument than you. I, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of a time when I had it. Even, even in times when you have to admit that they're making sense, they're making good points. You're kind of married to your own position. And if you, if you start to change your mind, you're changing your own mind. It's not that they're changing yours. You say, Oh, that makes sense. Let me, let me see how that works into my own paradigm, my own worldview. And and then you kind of sell yourself on that idea. And I think that that's true. Even when we're, when we're doing marketing, you're not going to be persuading people because you, you have the latest sales, uh, script or the, you know, the, the newest closing technique. Those things are, are just, I, you know, I don't know what to call them. They're, they're just there for people, <laughs> people who need a foundation to talk to people or to write to people. I suppose there's some value in knowing triggers, but you need to know why they work. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand that the best thing that you can do is to give the audience reasons and enough uh, material to persuade themselves. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you do that. But again, and this is what I was saying that I mentioned before, you going back to the things that already matter to them. Mm -hmm. If you really want to persuade somebody, well, you're not interested in persuasion so much as you're interested in persuading them that what you have will fit with what they need or what they're you know what they're out there looking to buy rather than buying the competitor's product i want to 
show you that mine is is more uh is a better fit for your needs. So um you want to be uh hitting hitting those those hot buttons that we mentioned. If you have uh you know the skincare problem, you know, I'm really worried about being attractive to girls or I'm really worried about my social standing in high school and I'm really, you know, I, it's just difficult to uh, you know, look at myself in the mirror, whatever it is. Those emotional things are those are what's driving the person to look for an answer anyway. So, you know, when when your competitor you want you want to show that person that that their competitor or you don't probably want to even mention the competitor, but you want to show the person that they find satisfaction for those desires and get the results that they're looking for from you. And like I said, rather than thinking about I need to convince this person or I need to do this to this person and just going to convince them, you just give them evidence and give them ideas that this this product that I have, you know, here's testimonials, which is really you know, a technique that we, that's helpful, you know, or they got pictures before and after pictures. That's, it, I mean, it's, it's me persuading you, but it's really you persuading yourself because you see with your own eyes, if you believe that I'm telling you the truth, that the product will, will take me from here, which is kind of what I look like now to there, which is kind of what I want to look like in two weeks or you know, however long it takes to do, do that thing. So, you know, you, you give testimonials. You give scientific proof or medical proof, some kind of third party validation. Uh, stories are really persuasive because they don't seem like they're attempts at persuasion. If somebody's telling you a, a story, you're, you're not putting up your guard thinking, ooh, he's trying to sell me, unless they're really obvious with it. The stories are automatically more, they're more uh, consumable. We're kind of wired that way. You think about, being a child and my mother used to read the stories before bed all the time. You just, it takes you there mentally and emotionally. Oh, it's a story. Or we love TV shows that are stories. So these are things that are, they just naturally happen when there's a story coming. When you know Joe Sugarman, <laughs> he tells stories and you just have to listen. He does, he definitely doesn't come across as a guy who's trying to hard sell you. He's just going to tell you a good story, which is probably going to improve your life because it's going to teach you a, a really good lesson and and it's going to entertain you at the same time. So there's the stories are very persuasive. One that I, I, you know, I'm not the only person who will say this, but education is very persuasive. People who are just selling to you, you know, in a very obvious way. You know, Billy Mays, for example, he'll, you know, <laughs> but he's, you know, he, he got good results, but you know, he's telling you benefit after benefit after benefit. But at the same time, a lot of people make fun of that, the infomercial type sales pitch, because it's a sales pitch. But when you're educating, it, it, it transforms you from a salesperson to a, a, an authority. An authority is, is a subconscious, uh, is it like a, a, an influence principle, like Robert Cialdini taught about. We automatically give uh, authority a place of importance in our thinking. If, uh, if somebody we trust, someone we believe knows better than we do, says something, then we, then we believe it. We're t- we tend to believe it or believe it better than, you know, other, you know, source of information. 
So when you become an educator, like what you're doing, when you can give all this great information out, people will look at you and they'll trust you or they'll be looking for the next thing that you're putting out. I can't wait to hear the interview that Joey's doing next. Or I can't read to read, can't wait to read what Joey writes next because I already know he's going to teach me something. I already know that my, my marketing is going to be better from the ideas that I get. I'm probably going to be, you know, more successful just, you know, just from, from absorbing this information. Sure. So I think that that's, that's, an, it's a very persuasive because it doesn't not, again, it doesn't look like a sales pitch. It just, we, you know, we also, also most of us spent years and years in school learning to sit down and pay attention. So when somebody's giving an education that's relevant to their needs and online, if it's not relevant, they're not going to keep looking at it. You know, I got better things to do, cuter cats to look at on Facebook. But when you're relevant to their needs and, and credible, which is another important point for persuasion, you know, you had to be credible. Uh, then you are, like I said, you're not the salesperson who the, the door to door salesperson who you can't wait to close the door on, but you're the, the trusted advisor who the, who the people will look to when they have a need, when they, you know, I, I need a solution. Here's somebody that I can trust. So education is very persuasive. And then I've said, I don't know many salespeople who change the world. A couple, I suppose. But most of those who change the world change the world by teaching other people how to be really good salespeople, either through, you know, purposeful education or by example. But there's plenty of teachers who change the world. Their job is to, is to create paradigms that make successful citizens. So when you, you know, you don't want to be a salesperson per se. You want to be more than that. And I think a teacher is a great place to start. Okay. I've seen in previous interviews that you've done that you've got your own unique perspective on USPs, which is a classic marketing topic. But what is your take on the USP? You know, even <clears throat> even until recently, probably within the last two months even, I've used the term all the time. USP, USP is so important. And I think, I guess I keep making the same point, which I'm, I, I think I'll draw out. But um, USP can be a bad thing. When we think about unique selling proposition, like I said, you don't want to be seen as a salesperson, even though you want to sell. <laughs> we want to sell, but we don't want to be seen as people who are selling something because now you're just another vendor. Nobody really likes salespeople. So a USP is oftentimes centered around what's so great about me that you should buy me. That's really what it is, right? It's the, the unique, the thing that's unique about me. That makes me better than everybody else. And I, I, I would say to you that anytime that you spend too much time thinking about t- things in terms of yourself, your own product, you can fall in love with your product so much that you ignore your audience. I was reading, uh, Theodore Levitt. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's, he was an old marketing teacher from, uh, like in the seventies or something. Brilliant. But he was talking about how gasoline companies have almost been had a business several times throughout history because they're so focused on what they're providing that they forget about the people they're trying to provide for. You guys don't like buying gas, just like we over here in America don't like buying gas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had, there's a paragraph, he said something like, you know, it's everybody hates buying gas. We only do it because we have to. 
<clears throat> as, as soon as we don't have to stop at the gas station, then we then we'll stop doing that immediately. So you know, which is why gas companies don't want solar cars to come out. If, but Theodore Levitt would say gas companies should not be in the gasoline business. They should be in the helping people get where they need to go business, the transportation business, which is he says the same thing about the, the, the railroads. They thought about let's figure out how to make railroads the best thing possible. And they missed out on, uh, you know, the next revolution, which is the automobile or, or the airplane. You know, when airplanes started coming out, they could have gotten into that business because they weren't shouldn't have been thinking about things in terms of I'm in the railroad business, but I'm in the transportation business. So they missed out on that opportunity. Gas companies, although they'll have to, you know, divert some of their money from figure out how to make gas even better, which I can't imagine it gets much better. Um, but trans, you know, to divert them funds into figuring out the next the next stage in in technological, you know, transportation advance. And anyway, the point is, you you could say my gasoline is the cleanest, the best burning. It'll keep your engine running even longer, which is, you know, those are good things. That's what's unique about your product. But we need to be thinking about things in terms of, I, I now use the term unique value proposition. What is, and that's focused on the needs of the audience, the needs of the market. So this is a little bit, it's, you know, it sounds like a really minuscule difference, but I think it's important when you think about terms, what does my audience need and what's, what's my unique qualification to give that to them? So you say my, my audience, my market needs to get from home to work every day. Now I don't have to marry gasoline. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be committed to, you know, uh, helicopters. I just need to figure out what the best way that I can to, to help them solve those needs. So, so when you, when you're, you, you and your USP is wrapped up in yourself, you're, you're in your own business and your own product, then you're missing the point. You need to be wrapped up in the person that you're trying to serve, which is another reason you need to know who you're trying to serve, who you're trying to make solutions for. When you know what they need, you can help them get it. And, and it's been said before also, you know, the best way to get what you want in life is to help other people get what they want. So, you know, you, if you get stuck on yourself, you'll, you'll miss it, I think. When you, when you become obsessed with figuring out how to take care of your market, your market tends to reward you if you can, if you can actually deliver on those needs. Okay. And why is neglecting some people good for your business? <laughs> It goes back to the idea of being niched. <clears throat> if if you if you try to communicate your marketing message to everybody, then you're not going to be able to be very specific. You're not going to be able to be very uh, compelling. You're not going to be able to interest everybody. So you have to make a very broad, kind of dull statement to appeal to as many people as possible. It will be good for you to neglect 80% of that market. Don't even think about trying to appeal to them. Who cares? <laughs> They're probably not going to buy from you. They may not read what you've written or listen to what you've said anyway. And, the, and then the problem with trying to say it something to all of those people, the people who would normally listen to you may get bored or they may see your, your, you know, your, your sales letter or your newsletter or your, you know, whatever it is that you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. They may see it's too generic 
uh, too boring, too dull, and ignore you too. So what, what's really the, you know, the, the idea is you neglect the people who you don't want to do business with or who are not going to be the, your best customers or the people you think is going to take too much work to sell to and focus on being really valuable and really uh, believable for a core niche. You know, it's, I think, you know, I use the word neglect <laughs> because it's provocative. You say, why should I neglect you? And you think, well, that just sounds like a bad idea. Well, but it's not because when you, when you know who you're talking to, you know who you're trying to reach. You're able to, to really hammer the message home. So, you know, it's a much better idea to be convincing to a hundred people who will buy from you than to get your message to a hundred thousand people who are not going to buy from you. It, you know, quality is much more important than quantity. That's even true for Coca-Cola. <laughs> How do you craft a strong call to action so that your message actually gives you the desired outcome, which could be for someone to either buy your product or sign up for your newsletter or whatever it might be. I'm going to give you some career suicidal information. Okay. <laughs> Copywriters, we'll, we'll admit to this if we're forced to. Most of the time we hope that nobody asks. <laughs> we have this rule. You Maybe you're familiar with it. It's the 40-40-20 rule. No, I've not heard of it. Okay. I can't, for the life of me, off the top of my head, I cannot think of who originated this, but in, in direct, direct mail, mm-hmm. and it, and it really translates a lot as well to other forms of selling. But in direct mail, 40% of the effectiveness of your message comes from the audience that you're sending it to. You know, it's, it's like, if there's starving people out here, or, you know, okay, how about this? We're in a desert. If there's thirsty people out there, it doesn't matter how I go to them. They're going to get my my liquid if I'm selling water. It doesn't matter how I sell it to them. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how you know uh, stupid my presentation is. They see water, they will buy. It. Yeah. And there's some people who you know they they're sitting on an, on an oasis and they're not going to buy it from me at all. So 40% of the effectiveness is purely you know on the the merits of the market itself or the audience itself. Um, 40% comes from the offer itself. So it's, <clears throat> it's, uh, again, the walk is if, if I've got exactly what it is that you need right now, regardless of everything else, you will buy it because it's, it's exactly what you need. It's, you know, delivered exactly the way you want it. And, and so they'll buy it. Only 20% comes from the creative, comes from the copy itself. See how that's suicidal? A little bit, yeah. It, and that, it's not just, you know, it's mostly copy, I would say. A, a graphic designer will tell you it's mostly the design. Uh, I would say that the, what you say is more important than how it looks when you say it on a, on a web page or whatever. So I think 20% comes from copy. Okay, but to the point, a, a strong call to action is rooted in the 40% that's, that's composed of your offer. How you tell them what you've got and you put it in a way where they'd be stupid not to do it again persuasion is coming from inside of them not so much from i've i've said this i've said that i've said that the things that you want to say are are things that will help them to say to themselves you say hey self how dumb do you have to be to turn this up turn this you know to pass this up so what you really want to do and it kind of goes back to the same point again 
you know, you, you want to have a, a really great product. You know, if you have, I mean, I guess you could have a strong call to action with a terrible product. I think that's a bad idea, but you could do it. Um, but what you really want to do is have a, a really good product at a really smart price. Even though, again, if your product is just right, you know, you'll find people who pay anything for it. <laughs> this is true. I know people who spend, you know, $10,000 on stuff that they could get for free if they wanted, you know, spend the time to do it. But, it, you know, again, it's coming from somebody who they feel is a great teacher who will improve their lives. And part of that, uh, the credibility, part of the authority, you know, it just makes it worth the expenditure. Uh, but a, a call to action needs to have the appeal to emotion. Uh, and I know that that's just, I'm trying not to say something that everybody knows. You know, you need to have urgency, but it needs to be real urgency. Um, not, <laughs> I don't know how many times you've seen this, but if you go on a website, this, this offer ends tonight and it says tonight, or they might have a script. On the page where I say it ends on, you know, this particular date. And then you go back to the web page the next thing and it's changed. I see that all the time. Or I was just on, I won't say who it is, a guru's page. Sign up and then, you know, you got to do it in 10 minutes. Seriously, it was a countdown on the page. I said, this is phony. I hit the refresh button and the timer refreshed. It's going to do that every time you go back to it. Mm-hmm. And I think fewer people, fewer and fewer people are falling for that kind of urgency. You know, you need to, if you, if you say, this offer is only until, you know, the 10th of April or, or whatever. You better mean it. Mm-hmm. Drain Bird had a great example. He was, uh, on, on a leap day, February 29th. He had, he said, I'm selling this video. I think it was a video. It might have been a book. I can't remember. Only today. Is, is, the, is this price only today? And he sure meant it. He sent out a couple of emails and he went to the page. It's there. You go to the page the next day. I think the page didn't even exist on the next day. Yeah. I did it just to check. But Drayton, you know Drayton Bird. Yeah, I know Drayton Bird. He's not going to play around. And so you need to have real urgency. You need to have real appeal to emotion. Because purchasing isn't so much logical as it's emotion. And I know a lot of people, everybody tells me that. There's logic involved in getting them to pull the trigger because if it's illogical, no matter how much they want it, they probably will not be able to convince themselves to do something that seems stupid. Like, you know, if a guy on the street is trying to sell you a Rolex for $10, something isn't right about that. Mm-hmm. Great offer. Believe me, I want a Rolex for $10. <laughs> but I, either it's stolen or it's fake or, you know, you're just waiting for me to pull out my wallet. You can take whatever. So, you know, but but the emotion needs to be there. The emotion is largely going to come from you're you're showing them, hey, you have a you have a need. Keep poking at the need throughout your car. Keep poking at that need. Keep poking at that pain. You say, oh, you know, you're scared of the recession, and you, and you tell them how businesses are going bankrupt, and how people are going into foreclosure, and you you know you you can't afford you know to sit on on this information because you're gonna you'll you could be next. So you know you keep hitting on that. And then when you get to the call to action, when you're down, down near the bottom, and I think call to action always needs to be at the bottom. You have, you know, your whole sales thing before you ask them to buy. <laughs> Is that controversial? I don't know. Some people will, t- a lot of people will also say that, but most pages you look at give you 20 chances to buy by the time you get to the bottom. 
I'm not so much for that. If they want to buy, they'll go to the bottom of the page or they'll go to the offer uh, form, the order form on the back of the direct mail piece of that's what you're saying. But, you know, when you continue to aggravate their, their pain, not, not, you know, in a way that's irritating, but you know, you keep hinting at it and you keep talking about, um, the, these things that, that are in the back of their mind, or it could be in the front of their mind that are really, you know, whatever the problem, keep talking about it. And when you get to the bottom, you know, you're building credibility. You're saying there's a solution. You're saying there's a solution. And then when you get down to where you're offering the solution, you know, you're, you're kind of closing the loop saying all of these things, these pains that you have, these worries that you have, these dreams that you have, it's all wrapped up in this product or service. So you, they're bringing all the, all the emotion. They're bringing it themselves. You know, I really, yeah, I, I, I didn't even realize how, you know, this problem is such a big problem. You know, you, you probably want to focus on problems that they know they have, but you can bring out, uh, costs and, and, uh, dangers that they weren't fully aware of or they weren't serious how, or weren't aware of how serious they were. And, you know, you're getting down to the, as you get down to the bottom, as you get to the call to action, you just, you, you're making a really strong offer for something that they really need. Even if, you know, like I said, throughout the copy, you're showing them that they need it. They already, they wouldn't be reading it if they didn't feel like they need, wanted it or needed it. But now you're really bringing the emotional impact of that need. And then you say, Hey, there's an ebook or there's a webinar, or there's a coaching program that I can, I can solve all these things for you. And as I've mentioned, you need to, it needs to be a really credible offer. Like I said, the $10 Rolex is a bad offer. Although it sounds like a great one, I just, I can't make that purchase unless you give me some really astonishing way of proving that that that's the an off of a real off. So, you know, there's a defect. Mm-hmm. You know, for some reason, you know, it's got 13 instead of 12 hours on it. <laughs> so you had to reset it every day. Oh, you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And I may not want it anyway. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> you know, so you have to have to it has to be credible. And you you know, you build up credibility throughout, of course, and you just it all culminates right in the off. There's authority. You know, you're building up authority. You get down to the offer and, you know, you're releasing that. Okay. I have the expertise that you need. We have the experience that you need. You know, we have proven results that you need. And here's, you, but you have to get it here. Only, only from me. Cause you know, these other guys don't have the expertise. They don't have the experience. <clears throat> they don't have the secrets. You know, they don't know the, the people that I know, whatever. And. Uh, and with the time urgency or the, the qu- qu- quantity urgency, like if it's a coaching program, I'm only taking on 10 people. Or if it's an offer, I'm only going until this day and I'm pulling you up. <clears throat> or with bonuses, you know, you get a free, that's where you put in the Rolex. You sign up for my coaching program. I will give you a Rolex if you order in the next 10 days or whatever it is. So that, you know, you, but real urgency that they, that, they can believe and a good guarantee as well. Mm-hmm. I think coaching pro- programs probably have difficulty with guarantee because you never know what people are going to do once they sign up. You can't guarantee that they're going to get it. But pretty much anything else, 
you know, you want to give them all the reason in the world to believe that they're going to get the results that you're promising, but also eliminate all the risk involved with if it doesn't happen the way that they think it will happen. Especially in a time like now, like I said, everybody's really skeptical. You got to make it a no-brainer. Uh, you know, 60 days, 90 days, <clears throat> a year, or, you know, some people are offering, you know, lifetime warranties, lifetime guarantees. If at any point you feel like this did not deliver, or if at any point it breaks, you know, if it's a product, I will replace it, or I will give you your money back, or I'll send you another one. And, you know, some people are, are doing, Jay Abraham would call it, you know, a, a what's it called? better than money back. I'll give you more than what you paid for this. Or, you know, you get to keep the bonuses and I'll give you your money back. So you, you eliminate as much risk as possible because you want the offer. You want them to have no barrier to the offer. Say, oh, I would, but I think my wife is going to freak if she, when she sees the credit card bill. Now I'm going to send you a letter to your wife, handwritten, you know, <laughs> this is all making up on the spot, yeah. but give them every reason to believe it'll be okay. I'm going to deliver, but just if there's by some freak chance, it didn't work out like you, like you hope, like I'm telling you it'll work out, then you got no risk. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay, give you your money back or, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, replace the product or whatever it is. And, and that way, you know, okay, well, what's the harm? It is going to be covered anyway. The only thing you have to worry about is your wife freaking. But you probably, you know, you give them enough in the copy, you give them enough logical reasons that they can go to their wife and say, yeah, I spent $10,000, but, you know, I'm working with this person who's going to, you know, save our lives. He's going to, you know, rejuvenate our business. He's going to keep our house out of foreclosure. And all these things, and then you you know you can justify it to your wife. So you stack on a lot of things that really eliminate the risk and just make it easy, or even to the point where it would be stupid not to do it. Yeah, right. Maybe I'm saying you know the call to action is it's it's really like I said. I guess it's a combination. It's important to have obviously call to action has to be there, but I think if you haven't made your the the case all the way up to the call to action, you know no matter how strong it is, it won't work. And, but if you've made a really good case up until the call to action, even just saying buy now will work. You want to put as much in, you know, as possible. But I think that, you know, the call to action itself is, you know, the way that you phrase it is maybe is not as, as important. Okay. I don't want to sound like crazy. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. Like I said, if you got a great offer, no matter how you say it, they'll buy it. If you got the audience, like Dan Kennedy's audience, I think if Dan, you know, he made a video and he said, "Hey, I got a new product," and ended the video right there, people would line up to buy it because people already trust him. People already know what he can do. People who bought from him before his herd, as he would call them, and whenever he wants something new, he says, "Oh, let me go to the herd," <laughs> and and they will buy from him, and rightly so because he's a genius and he's helping out. You know, a lot of businesses to really make great uh, strides forward. So, you know, all of these things together, it just culminates in the call to action. You know, I'm telling you everything that you're getting in my offer. Here's where you do it. Um, so, you know, like I said, I guess it sounds crazy for me to say it's not that important. 
But in, in perspective, it's only one important factor among a lot of important factors. Donny, you've shared some brilliant information with us. How do we get more from you and how can we get in touch with you? Uh, thank you for asking. Um, the easiest way <clears throat> is just to go to my website, which is Donny, D-O-N-N-I-E, dash Bryant, B-R-Y-A-N-T dot com. Donny dash Bryant dot com. Uh, I've got a newsletter. It's it's only for people who can deal with crazy. Like I said, <laughs> my wife, I mean, she just looked at it and, and she's like, you need to it explains better soon people know things anyway but i i deal with one big marketing idea per month sometimes okay sometimes it's a little bit out there this month's newsletter is, is about i'm talking about the prefrontal cortex of the brain and how how some okay last month i talked about how the prefrontal cortex goes into shutdown mode i'm not going to give it away <laughs> and, and how you can use that to your advantage in selling so, you know, it's, it's kind of off the beaten track stuff. I'm not, it's not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, basic how to's, but it's kind of high level con- conceptual stuff. Uh, but it applies directly to your marketing. I, I get into some actionable stuff with that, but you can sign up for that. Cool. That's awesome. That's the end of today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Donnie, thank you very much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. It's a lot of fun. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.